and on the edge for another edition of the podcast. Welcome in all you snuggle snail love beavers to another episode of On the Edge with Alec Etheridge. Glad to have you on board as we uh, go into another weekend of SEC football action. And uh, this past weekend was arguably the best of the season as far as SEC football goes. And so there's a lot to recap looking back at last week. Also looking ahead to some exciting matchups this weekend across SEC country. But the first thing on your mind at this point in the podcast is probably what the heck did Alec just say at the top of the show? And if you want me to repeat it, it was Snuggle Snell Love Beaver. What the heck does it mean? I don't know. But if there's anything Alec will do for money or for food, it's say random things on a podcast. And yesterday at work with my coworkers showing the interesting place that I do work at and the coworkers that I have, we were talking about some weird nicknames that came up uh, in the past, and Snuggle Snell Love Beaver ended up being the weirdest of all nicknames. I was bet that I wouldn't say that on the podcast, so I just decided to get it right out of the way off the top of the show, and you know we may possibly sneak it in further on throughout the show as well, but uh, I'll do just about anything, and this is where they underestimated, underestimated me. I'll do just about anything for a little bit of money and a little bit of food, uh, most of you that know me know that that is definitely the truth, and so I'm hoping that my coworkers will follow through on that bet of giving me at least some compensation, but they know me. They knew that I would do something like this, so I'm probably getting nothing. They just wanted me to make a fool of myself, which I have done to this point, and we are less than uh, two minutes in to the podcast, so that bodes well for the rest of the show, but that being said... We've got a lot to get to, so let's not stop snuggle snelling around and get into all of the action that we have coming up. Some top storylines from this past weekend across the college football landscape. Obviously, Georgia's light show. Uh, we saw the LED lights uh, displayed for the first time in their big win over Notre Dame. An exciting game. Ended up being the game of the day. We'll talk a little bit about that matchup and what all we can take away from that, as well as Notre Dame faking injuries. Uh, Brian Kelly lying about faking injuries, and Jake Fromm frustrated with Notre Dame faking injuries. So we'll talk about uh, what's been one of the hottest topics throughout the week uh, following that Notre Dame-Georgia game. We'll also talk about the college football landscape to this point through four weeks of the season. We've obviously got a good feel for several of the top teams, specifically the top five, six teams in the country, as well as the top ten. We know who uh, who the top 10 really should be at this point in the season. But I think there's a handful of teams that stick out from everybody else that um, are probably the teams that will have the best chance to win a college football championship this year, at least make the college football playoff Final Four. But the first thing that I want to talk about, the thing that I was probably most impressed with from this past weekend, it was a tough week for me, I'm going to be honest, a tough week for me picking games against the spread uh, I believe I went three and six overall, if my memory serves me correctly. Um, so not a strong week. That is correct. Three and six overall. I'm 28 and 17 overall, picking against the spread on the season. But by far my worst, my worst week of the season to this point. And one of those games I got wrong, and I have to admit it, the Auburn Texas A&M game. And coming out of this past weekend, that's probably the game where I took the most away. And you know, Auburn to this point in the season, I've yet to see them play their best football game. They've been a team with a true freshman quarterback that's just kind of gone along, taken care of their business, won some tough, hard-fought games, and uh, they just continue to do that, and they're going to get better and better as the season goes along. That's a scary thought. Right now, this Auburn team coming off a 28-20 to victory over Texas A&M, and it wasn't even that close, to be honest with you. Texas A&M could not move the ball offensively at all on that Auburn defense. And uh, so now you've got Auburn sitting at 4-0 and right now, probably with the two biggest wins of the season to this point. They take down number 11 Oregon to open the season in Dallas. Uh, and then this past weekend, number 17 Texas A&M also uh, in Texas. So two games, neither one of which was played in Jordan-Hare Stadium against top 17 ranked teams. And Auburn wins both of those football games uh, and now off to a 4-0 start. This is a team that, like I said, the crazy thing is they're playing with a true freshman quarterback and they haven't played their best football yet. That can only 
uh, mean positive things for the future of this program. Now, it is going to be difficult. They do still have games left against number nine, Florida, number four, LSU, number three, Georgia, and number two, Alabama. That's three of the top four teams in the country and four of the top ten teams in the country. So the path's difficult. They have a tough game this weekend against the Mississippi State Bulldogs that I think a lot of people may overlook just because it's sandwiched in between that Texas A&M game, which they've now won, and a matchup against number 9 Florida on the road uh, next weekend as well. So it's it's going to be a tough spot for Auburn this weekend. I do expect them to win. We'll talk more about that game later on. Um, but this is an Auburn team that while some people are getting carried away, already talking about national championships, already talking about the scenario of what happens if we lose, um, you know, one game, and do we still get into the college football playoff? And we're still a long ways away from that. You've still got a true freshman quarterback. You've still got a tough, tough schedule left. But at the same time, you have to be pleased. I understand why Auburn fans are getting carried away at this point simply because of the excitement. They haven't had this level of excitement in a while, and we haven't seen this Gus Malzahn offense in years. This is the vintage Gus Malzahn offense. This is what it looked like under Nick, with Nick Marshall running the show, who was not a talented quarterback, but he ran that offense perfectly. And it's also what it looked like with Cam Newton running the show, who was a very talented quarterback and did it just about as good as anybody possibly could. And now you've got a freshman quarterback, and while he's got some growing to do, he's running this offense flawlessly for Auburn right now from the quarterback position. Bo Nix has done everything he's needed to do. He doesn't have to be a great uh, quarterback in the passing game. He just has to manage the offense and run what he's supposed to run uh, with his run-pass option plays. And so far to this point in the season, he's taken care of the football, and he's led his team to two wins over top 20 teams. And you can't ask for much more than that. Now, when they do take on some of these teams like LSU, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, that may come back to bite them. That may There may be a hiccup in there where him being a freshman shows, shows up. But at the same time, when this offense under Gus Malzahn has a quarterback that can run his system – that's when Gus Malzahn is successful. That's when Gus Malzahn wins championships or at least has the threat of winning a championship. Do I think Auburn's to the championship level uh, yet at this point in the season? No, probably not. They've still got a lot of growing to do on the offensive side of the football. That being said, they have such a strong defense, and you can tell that Gus Malzahn has really ignited this team from the standpoint of taking over the play calling duties. You see him jumping around on the sideline. You see him fist pumping after big plays. He's having a lot of fun again, and he's coaching for his life, and he knows it. So he's, uh, you can just sense the urgency coming from Gus Malzahn, the Auburn Tigers as a whole, uh, but with a young quarterback. Uh, and some other playmakers on that offensive side of the football, they're continuing to get better along with a defense that really just made Texas A&M's offense look ugly on Saturday. So right now you've got reason for optimism as an Auburn football fan again. Uh, I don't think there's any reason now that you can say Gus Malzahn needs to be on the hot on the hot seat specifically because, and I said going into the season, him starting a true freshman quarter, quarterback was the best thing that he could do for himself because if they do lose games, at least he's got that backup of starting a true freshman. Now he's won two games against top 20 opponents with a freshman quarterback and neither one on their home field. You've got to feel positive about where Gus Malzahn has this football team through four games. And with the rest of their schedule left, even if he, if he were to lose every game against those top 10 opponents, he's still going to be there next year. And they're going to be even better a year from now with the return of a lot on the offensive side of the football and a quarterback that is clearly going to continue to improve. But this is a team right now that I could easily see winning two of those four matchups. I could see them beating LSU. I can see them beating Florida. I could honestly at home even see them competing with Georgia and Alabama and having a chance to win those games as well, specifically that Georgia game as Georgia's offense struggled against Notre Dame. So a lot of positive things to take away from Auburn's win over Texas A&M on the road. Uh, but another big game that we saw this past weekend, obviously Georgia hosting uh, Notre Dame in, in what was dubbed as being one of the biggest matchups to ever take place in Sanford Stadium. Now, whether that was the case or not, I'm not really sure. They've hosted a lot of big games, but at the same time, this was an incredible environment, and it started with 
the light show that they did put on. Uh, leading up to that game, you had uh, the theory of there possibly being a blackout in that game, Georgia coming out in the black jerseys. They didn't do it, but the fans had their blackout gear on, specifically the student section and the light show that they put on with their new LED lighting system, going from red to flashing lights to uh, just the intense atmosphere that we saw around the stadium. Uh, you just had chills, excitement. That was what we've been waiting for this season is really the first huge college football game of the year and it lived up to the hype everybody thought Georgia was going to come in and blow Notre Dame out they were a 13 and a half point favorite I picked Georgia to win by 14 or more it didn't happen but at the same time uh, it at least gave us an exciting football game and I thought the Texas A&M Auburn game was going to be that exciting game of the day Uh, but Auburn looked much better than Texas A&M in that game and so that led us into the nightcap of that doubleheader on CBS and Georgia proved uh, Georgia Notre Dame proved to be the better of the games on Saturday, and it led to what I think was an incredible football game, um, specifically from the play on the field, obviously, but from the environment standpoint. I think that that environment really had an impact, and it was one of the, uh, you just imagine, there were a ton of top recruits at that game on Saturday to see those two teams play and just imagine what those guys were thinking inside of that environment. One of the best we've seen in college football this year and in a while, to be honest with you. Uh, And if you don't think that it had an impact on the game, just look at the penalties that Notre Dame had, the times that they struggled uh, getting off plays, doing different things, but they had 12 penalties in the game, which was the most under Chip Kelly as their head coach. So the environment clearly uh, had an impact on, on the contest. Now, do I think Georgia would have won on the road too? Yes, I do. I think that a lot of that, a lot of the environment, honestly, got into their own heads and, um, you know, made them a little bit nervous as well, whereas they might been, have been a little bit more calm uh, going on the road. And early in the game, it looked like Georgia was a little bit uh, shell-shocked. And that's what I want to talk about next is just the standpoint of that game being closer than a lot of people expected. And Notre Dame ends up scoring first. Georgia ended up trailing 10-7 to at the half. And the big reason for that, and this is what concerns me with Georgia moving forward, which it doesn't make sense, to be honest with you, was that they weren't running the football. And this is a team that's built around running the football with DeAndre Swift there, who did top the 100-yard mark in the football game. But they didn't, I just don't think they used him properly from the start of that game. If you watch the game, uh, and you look back at the stats, you look back at what Georgia was doing. Uh, on the first two drives of the game, Georgia ran the ball just five times combined compared to an, to eight passes from Jake Fromm. And this is a team that's still trying to find its identity in the passing game. They do have a future NFL quarterback in Fromm back there, but they still have a lot of inexperience at the re- receiver position. And you've had some guys step up here and there but you haven't had anybody step up to prove that they're going to be their go-to target this year specifically. Now, maybe moving forward down the line, you do have a couple of guys that can make some big-time plays, and maybe they'll go grow throughout the season. But right now, at this point in the year, especially going up against the Notre Dame defense that was ranked around 120th in the country at stopping the run, and Georgia came in with the game plan early on to throw the football. And uh, you know, after falling behind seven to nothing in that game, Georgia on the ensuing drive, after running five times through their first two drives, they ran for a combined eight times on their next drive, and it was a 13 play touchdown drive. So eight of their 13 plays were runs, and they ended up scoring a touchdown on that drive to answer Notre Dame's touchdown and make it a seven to seven game. Uh, and while Notre Dame took the 10 to seven halftime lead, Georgia you could sense a shift in the momentum with them taking uh, taking that ground attack to the next level and actually starting to run uh, run the football. And, you know, it, it just never really seemed to come through overall on the night. They continued uh, to do some of that same stuff in the second half. Uh, and, and they ended up with a lot of field goals. I mean, that's the, the difference. Georgia could have easily won this game by more points, and they were up 20-10. to 10 in the second half, but they could have easily been up closer to 31 to 10, uh, 24 to 10, 27 to 10, somewhere in that range. Um, and they just never really seemed to get any sort of offensive identity. I saw just a lot of inconsistency 
on that side of the football. Um, in their only touchdown drive in the second half, yet again, uh, Georgia ran the ball five times in eight plays, which then set up a play-action touchdown pass from Jake Fromm. So this is a, a Georgia offense that if they want to be successful, I understand trying to throw off the defense, but when you're going up, you know you have an upper hand in one category of the game. You take advantage of that. They should have hammered the ball down Notre Dame's throat, and instead they got a little too cute, and it led to that game being a lot closer than it could have been. And credit Notre Dame. Notre Dame played an incredible football game. I came away more impressed with them than I have in a long time uh, of a Notre Dame football team. Uh, But at the same time, they still struggled throughout. Georgia was clearly the better team, uh, and Georgia just didn't look to have the identity that they needed. So that could be some cause for concern moving forward if you're a Georgia fan, but credit both of those teams. Georgia picks up a top 10 win, a top 10 win, and Notre Dame plays extremely good on the road in what was one of the toughest environments they'll face, uh, arguably the toughest environment that they will face this season. Now, there was one thing that I think overshadowed all of that that we just talked about, and it really has to do with Notre Dame faking injuries. And, you know, it's hard for us to sit here and say that somebody definitely did fake an injury, but in this game, it looked a little bit obvious, at least to us. Now, to Brian Kelly, not so much. Well, I I don't know where that really comes from, but, you know, our protocol is if if any player has suffered an injury um, and they're not feeling right, we want them to go down. Um, we, we want them to get medical attention. Um, we, have, um, we have a medical spotter um, that is communicating with our trainers, uh, and we don't want to risk anybody that's not feeling right. Uh, so I'm proud of our guys that they have, you know, uh, made sure that that procedure is followed correctly. We're not going to fake injuries. We're a tempo team, uh, but we're going to make sure the protocol is followed based upon what our, our training staff wants under those conditions. Hmm. Really, Coach? That's uh, an interesting take, to say the least. And, you know, I understand Kelly standing up for his team. Um, he can't just come out and flat say that his team was faking injuries as to try to take an advantage of some sort in the game. But he can at least smile. He can at least crack a joke or do something, say no comment, anything but just straight lie to our faces. Uh about his kids. I mean, it's one thing when somebody is injured and they fall down by themselves, but when you have somebody who all of a sudden just is walking perfectly fine, all of a sudden starts to, you know, look at the sideline and then doesn't seem to understand what's happening or what's being said to him, and another player comes up and just throws him down, his own teammate grabs him by his shoulder pads and throws him down on the ground. And then another guy, another player on Notre Dame's team, is walking back across the line of scrimmage. He runs up next to Jake Fromm, and, you know, he brushes his shoulder on the face mask of Fromm's helmet, and then all of a sudden flops like he's in the middle of the World Cup and hits the ground. Uh, I mean, he flailed away on his way to the ground and barely brushed, literally barely brushed, like a centimeter of his jersey touched Fromm's helmet and he flopped like he was in the middle of the World Cup. And it was just ridiculous to say that your guys weren't faking injuries in those in that situation. Like, stand up for your team, I get it. But at the same time, don't lie to our faces. And Jake Fromm was less than thrilled about what he saw as his Georgia offense was trying to go down the field and score a touchdown. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what was going on. I just know we were trying to play football, trying to play fast, and uh, they weren't letting us. He was going And, I mean, I completely understand Jake Fromm's frustration there uh, as his team seemed to have all the momentum, seemed to be going on scoring drives when those kind of things happen. And Coach Kirby Smart in his his press conference earlier this week wouldn't bring as much attention to it, and he said something along the lines of he doesn't really have a comment on it, but, I mean, he would be naive to think that stuff like this doesn't happen in college football. And we're all naive if we don't think that kids – fake injuries to try to get over um, over these the fast-paced offense that we've gotten ourselves into. And, you know, we've all been a fan of a team that has done it likely at some point in time. And, you know, I understand both sides of it. 
What I don't understand is Brian Kelly lying to us about it. I think he might as well at least make some jokes about it, be uh, lighthearted about it as best he's as best he can. Because it's something. Is it fair? No. Is it right? No. But is it smart for a coach to tell his players to go down if a team is gashing them, uh, gashing their defense because of their up tempo? run on the offensive side of the football. And yes, it's very smart. It's a strategic thing to do in today's day and age in college football where teams are running up tempo. The things are spread out a lot more than they used to be. And, you know, you're going to have some guys that are exhausted. You're going to have defensive players that are struggling, and they can't sub them out unless the offense is subbed because they're not going to hold up the ball or hold up the snap to to help that happen. So it's a strategic thing to do from a coaching standpoint. It's something that uh, can they just can't regulate it. It's something that it shouldn't happen. It's not right, but it can happen because there's no way it is impossible to regulate faking injuries in college football. The first time that an official says that they were faking an injury, it's an, a lawsuit waiting to happen for the NCAA uh, especially if that player actually ends up getting injured. So uh, it, the only thing it's going to do, it's a terrible look for Notre Dame in that situation, but at the same time, it helped them. And so, you know, you can't, that's all you can really take away from it is that it's going to make your program look bad at times. But at the same time, if it helps you win a football game, we're a society that it doesn't matter. As long as you're winning football games and you're competing, that's going to go above that all. And it's something we won't even remember at the end of the year unless Notre Dame continues to do that throughout the season. But why not? If they're in that situation, it is a strategic plan and there's no way to regulate it. So I think it's something that I hate seeing it as a fan, but at the same time, you're going to continue to see that each and every week across the college football world. But speaking of the college football world, there is one more thing I want to talk about before we get to our uh, picks against the spread. And, you know, we're through four weeks of the college football season now, and I kind of want to break down the college football landscape, kind of where things sit at this point in the season. Uh, you know, the, the first college football playoff poll doesn't come out until November 5th, so that's still more than a month away. Um you know, and that we'll have a better feel of everything by then, and that's why it doesn't come out until then. But I kind of wanted to run through a few of my top teams and, and kind of give you a feel of where we are at this point in the season. And, you know, it's kind of where I started the season. We've seen some of this kind of shift around uh, as far as the AP poll goes with uh, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, and LSU being the top four in the AP poll. That's awesome for the SEC and for the SEC West particularly uh, as three total SEC teams are in the top four and two uh, of the SEC West in the top four. But mine a little bit different. I still have the original top four in there. Clemson number one, Alabama number two, Georgia number three, and Oklahoma number four. And just outside of that, five and six, The first two out of my top four would be LSU and Ohio State. I think LSU is the fifth best team, Ohio State the sixth right now. And then just outside of that would be Auburn at number seven. And, you know, it's obviously something that it's all going to work itself out specifically with those SEC teams playing against each other. Uh, Georgia or Alabama, LSU, and Auburn all going to play against each other at some point this season. And then one of those teams is likely going to play Georgia for the SEC championship as well. So you will have the argument at some point, do two SEC teams get in down the road? Uh, but right now, it's it's tough for me to see a lot of these teams losing football games outside of the SEC. If you look at the college football landscape at this point, uh, I think there's just a handful of teams that really could honestly just beat each other um, because of the offensive presence that they have at this point in the year. Uh, Outside of those top seven teams that I mentioned, I just don't know that there's anybody that's really going to compete with the likes of these teams that are in that top seven, in my opinion. I think there's a – at the beginning of the year, it was Clemson and Alabama and everybody else. At this point in the year, through just four weeks, I've seen a lot of positive things from a lot of these teams that makes me think that they can at least compete uh, with Clemson and Alabama. And if you look at Georgia coming off that Notre Dame game – uh, they still have some question marks on the offensive side of the football, but still easily a game they could have won by two or three scores. They could have won that game 31-10 to 10 
easily. Uh, so they're looking good. Their defense looks to be one of the best, like one of the best in the country, in my opinion. Still some question marks on offense. Oklahoma, on the other hand, their offense has been lights out with yet again another Heisman contender as Jalen Hurts is running the show there now. And LSU, surprisingly, while their defense has taken a turn for the worse, their offense has become one of the best in the country and same with Ohio State. Now, where you almost can draw a line is right there when you get to seven in Auburn, but Auburn has won the two biggest games of the year to this point in the season. Auburn taking down Texas A&M and taking down Oregon has proven that even if they aren't uh, to the level of offensive prowess that some of those other teams are, that they have the defense that can compete and they run the the scheme and style of offense that's one of the most difficult to stop uh, in the country. So I think that can really help Auburn compete with those teams as well. And when they do take on LSU, Georgia, Alabama, and Florida here over the next couple months, I think we're going to see a lot of people really buy into this Auburn team uh, as well. So that top seven is really where you draw the line. I think those each one of those seven teams can compete with each other, uh, and that's going to make things interesting moving forward. It's going to be tough uh, for Clemson to lose a game in general. Uh, I think Alabama's going to be another team It's tough for them to lose a game. Georgia's going to have some tough matchups. They do get LSU. They do get Florida. They do get Auburn as well. Uh, but all of these teams outside of the SEC – Oklahoma, Ohio State, Clemson, it's going to be tough for them to lose a game this year. Now, we say that every year and somebody ends up losing a game. They're not supposed to, but right now things are looking really good for those teams, and uh, we're going to have to see them all kind of challenged against a top-tier opponent. We haven't seen Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, or Ohio State really challenged against anybody yet, Uh, and same kind of goes for LSU at the same time as well. Now, moving forward, we're going to see all of those teams playing some tougher opponents, and we'll get a better feel for things. Uh, and when I break it down and look at it, I, I can see all of these teams having a successful run moving forward. But right now, it's tough for me to see anybody topping Alabama on the offensive side of the ball, Georgia, Auburn defensively. Uh, and I think that could be a big difference moving forward down the line. And you look at teams like Oklahoma, Ohio State, LSU, I need to see much more from them on the defensive side of the football moving forward, uh, just simply because they've all struggled on on defense uh, throughout the season, really, to this point. And I do like uh, like their chances a lot moving forward, but at the same time, still need to see some uh, see them compete against some tougher opponents before we can really make a judgment call. That's one thing Auburn has ahead a lot of a, a lot of these teams and. Honestly, wouldn't shock me right now if anybody put them at number one because of the games that they have won. But it's an eye test kind of thing, and right now the eye test, uh, they still need to improve and do some things a little bit better. But that's a, that's kind of my rundown of the college football landscape to this point. I think those top seven teams, one of them, in my opinion, is going to be your national champion at the end of the season. Uh, and I think your playoff top four is also going to come from someone or from those those top seven teams. I think those four of those top seven will also be playing in the college football playoff. But now we'll move on. Instead of looking ahead and, looking ahead and you know, predicting what's going to happen down the line, we'll go ahead and look ahead just one week at a time. And we'll start with this week's action. And with our games against the spread, last week I've already said it, I had a terrible week, three and six overall. So... Uh, very disappointed in that time for a bounce back week uh, this week and we won't spend too much time we're already 30 minutes into the show so we won't spend too much time we'll kind of go down break down each matchup and what you can expect from a number standpoint and where things tend to uh, lend their hands to as far as picking against the spread at this point and one game we don't have a spread on is going to be Florida hosting Towson this weekend uh, a game you know, that should be fairly easily won by the Gators on their home field as they get ready for Auburn a week from Saturday. So Florida now 4-0 on the season, number nine in the country. Uh, And many people really honestly don't think Florida belongs in the top 10 of the AP poll. But with wins over Miami, Kentucky, and Tennessee, I mean, it's hard to keep them out. Who are you going to replace them with? Those are 
uh, while Tennessee's down and while Miami hasn't been the Miami of old, that's still a quality win. And Kentucky was still pretty talented when uh, Florida played them as well. So, uh, you know, there's three quality wins there, quality enough uh, to have them where they are at number nine in the rankings at 4-0. Now, Towson is at 3-1, and one, uh, but their schedule pretty much filled with a bunch of high school junior varsity teams uh, coming off a 52-45 to 45 loss to Villanova. Just judging from that, uh, that's all you need to see. This is a defense in Towson that's giving up a ton of points every week and is coming off a loss where they gave up 52 points to Villanova. Florida's going to win this one big and easily as they carry in some more confidence and stay undefeated uh, which is the important thing there going into that showdown with Auburn a week later. And Auburn likely to be, if they can win this weekend, at least a top seven, top six team going into that game as well. Moving on, the Vanderbilt Commodores, they're back at home this week following that 66-38 to thumping to LSU a week ago. And the Commodores now 0-3 on the season, and they've given up more than 30 or more in every loss that they've uh, had to this point. So uh, they're still a favorite in this game over Northern Illinois, six-and-a-half-point favorite to be exact. And Northern Illinois coming in off a bye week, but it's a team that's sitting at one and two overall this season. They've had back-to-back losses to Utah, 35-17, to and Nebraska, 44-8. to Their only win of the season was 24-10 to over Illinois State. Now, uh, this is a Vanderbilt defense that's just awful this year. I mean, that's putting it nicely. They're ranked 126th in total defense out of 130 teams. Uh, but the good thing this week, they don't have to be great. Northern Illinois' offense, not much better. They're ranked 110th out of 130 teams. Uh, Northern Illinois is going to have a slight offensive advantage from the standpoint I mean, defensive advantage from the standpoint that they're ranked uh, 73rd defensively. Vandy's offense ranked 98th offensively. But at the same time, they're on their home field. Vanderbilt's desperate for a win. They're going to come out. They're going to show, uh, you know, that they do still have some talent and that they can win a game big. They've played some tough teams to this point in the season, including two games against Georgia and LSU, two of the top four teams that are battle-tested. I think that helps them in this game. They'll easily win this one uh, by a touchdown or more. Their defense is going to have to get better, and that's what concerns you is that they could give up some points to Northern Illinois. But at the same time, Vanderbilt's a better football team uh, than Northern Illinois should win this game by a touchdown or more as a a six-and-a-half-point favorite. So give me Vanderbilt in that one. Moving on to a very interesting game between Arkansas and Texas A&M and Dallas there. In Jerry World, right now you've got Texas A&M sitting at, uh, as a 23.5-point favorite, coming off a very uh, less-than-stellar offensive showing in that 28-20 to loss to Auburn. Now, obviously a good Auburn defense that they were taking on in that matchup, but nonetheless, they're sitting at 2-2, two and two, and so are the Arkansas Razorbacks, despite that ugly loss to San Jose State 31-24 to a week ago. And ugly is an understatement. Yet again, I'm I'm not holding back on some of these teams this week. 31 to 24 loss to San Jose State, who's one of the worst teams in college football. You can't have that as an Arkansas football team in the SEC. So, despite sitting at two and two, I mean, my big question is how the heck did this Arkansas team beat Colorado State two weeks ago? That that's just it still baffles my mind. The inconsistency is what makes this so difficult. Uh, picking a game involving Arkansas against the spread and seeing how terrible Texas A&M's offense has been. You could easily see Texas A&M, if they do click offensively, winning this game big. But at the same time, you could see the Arkansas team that put up 50 points against Colorado State show up. So you just don't really know what you're going to get. But that being said, Arkansas is the 82nd worst defense in the country. This is a Texas A&M offense that still does have some talent on that side of the ball. It's the perfect opportunity for Kellen Mond and that Aggies offense, you know, to let off some steam that they didn't get to let off last week against Auburn. I think that they're going to come out, they're going to play well in this game, and that's the thing is, um, you know, it's not a home game, but at the same time it is still there in Texas, uh, and I think that that's going to help them out, 
you know, the question for Arkansas is will they play inspired football this week? Nick Starkle coming off a five-interception game against San Jose State. He threw five interceptions against that San Jose State defense. Not a very good defense at all. Uh, Obviously, without those interceptions, Arkansas likely wins, but at the same time, they still would have struggled. So, uh, like I said, it's hard to predict this with the struggles we've seen from Texas A&M's offense and the inconsistency uh, from the Arkansas football team in general. But if you're going to lean one side or another, you're going to go with the favorites. Uh, uh, Texas A&M should be the ones that can pull away in this one for a 24-point win or more, uh, specifically with how bad Arkansas's defense is. They're one of, literally one of the worst in the country at stopping the pass. I think our, our Texas A&M is going to come out, take advantage of that, uh, really let off that steam from a week ago, roll up some points, and win this game big over Arkansas. That leads us into what one of the games I think can be the most intriguing this weekend, despite both of these teams coming off back-to-back losses. That's South Carolina hosting the Kentucky Wildcats this Saturday. And right now, uh, the Gamecocks sitting at a three-point favorite in that game. South Carolina obviously coming off the 34-14 to loss to Missouri, lost to Alabama the week before that. North Carolina to open the season, and that's starting to look like a really bad loss as North Carolina has not played well at all since then. Uh, And then you also uh, have Kentucky, who's coming off back-to-back losses to Florida and Mississippi State. They lose to Mississippi State 28-13. to So the Gamecocks sitting at 1-3 and overall in the season right now, and Kentucky sitting at 2-2. Two and two. And if Kentucky still had Terry Wilson, I think that they would be in much better shape right now. Uh, I think they may still be undefeated, to be honest with you, uh, at this point in the season. But instead, they're 2-2. Two and two. They do still have a lot of talent, but I just think they're still in a tough situation right now uh, as Sawyer Smith really struggled in that game against Mississippi State. And Ryan Holinsky didn't play much better against Missouri uh, at the quarterback position for South Carolina. Uh, But if you look at the differences in defense in those games, that was a big difference. So right now, I think that a key coming into this is obviously both are coming off back-to-back losses, but South Carolina is going to benefit returning home this week while the Wildcats are on the road for the second consecutive week. How can they bounce back after back-to-back losses? One of those on the road last week and now going on the road for a second consecutive week. Will they be able to handle that environment there in Columbia, South Carolina? Uh, And then another thing is South Carolina's struggles a week ago obviously uh, came against a Mississippi State defense uh, that, uh, I'm sorry, Missouri defense that ranks sixth in the country in total defense. So while Missouri, you know, hasn't been maybe the dominant team that we've seen in years past when they won the SEC East. They are still a good football team this year, despite that opening loss to Wyoming, uh, specifically on the defensive side of the football. So you can see and understand some struggles there from South Carolina's defense or offense going up against the sixth-ranked defense in the country. And the week before that, against an Alabama defense that's obviously talented year in and year out as well. So, uh, you know, South Carolina's been battle-tested the last two weeks, on the other hand, Kentucky, their game against uh, against Mississippi State, that was a defense that ranked 57th in the country, and they still only put up 13 points in that game. So you're seeing some struggles from the Wildcats on the offensive side of the football. As I said, Sawyer Smith struggled against that Mississippi State defense that is ranked 57th in the country, 15 of 41 for 232 yards and an interception in that game. So he threw the ball 41 times and only completed 15 of those passes. So less than stellar day for him. And Holinsky, not much better. He was 13 of 30 for 166 and a touchdown and one interception, uh, but going up against a much better defense and in the rain. It rained the majority of that game against Missouri. So South Carolina gets the benefit of returning home. Uh, They're going to have to run the ball better They only totaled 16 rushing yards last week, but if they can get Rico Dowdle going in this game, they'll easily put away uh, Kentucky, in my opinion, returning back home, trying to get back in the win column. I think South Carolina might be a little bit more talented, uh, a little bit deeper. Uh, I saw some some promising things from them 
against Alabama. Obviously struggled last week, but now if they can get that running game going, this is a Kentucky defense that ranks 78th uh, overall uh, and, and gave up 100-plus rushing yards to two different players last week, uh, including freshman quarterback Garrett Schrader. Uh, so this is a Kentucky defense that's struggling. It's stopping the run. If Rico Dowdle gets going, Ryan Holinsky will build some more confidence. He'll have some more open throwing lanes. I think that'll be an emphasis for South Carolina on their home field. I don't see Kentucky doing enough to pull away to make everything ride on Holinsky throwing the football, which I think is going to allow South Carolina to run it a little bit more, give them an advantage. Only a three-point favorite on their home field to evenly matched teams. I'm going to take the Gamecocks to win this one by more than the three-point spread. That leads us into a game that I was on the fence about early in the week and uh, kind of coming into the podcast, but as I did a little bit more research, I gained a little bit more confidence. That's going to be the Alabama Ole Miss football game. Alabama, obviously their first home SEC game of the season, their SEC home opener. They're a 37-point favorite against the Ole Miss Rebels. And, uh, you know, this is an Alabama team where they've been favored by 30-plus in every game this season pretty much. And so the question becomes, is there a point spread too much to take Alabama? Right now it's tough to lean uh, toward there being one. I mean, Alabama has just shown time and time again that their offense can live up to the hype, that they can score the points, and that they can cover these drastic point spreads and this is another one that I think they're going to be able to do it in and obviously coming off that 49 to 7 win over Southern Miss they're now 4-0 on the season you have an Ole Miss team coming in off of a 28 to 20 loss to California uh, they're now 2 and 2 on the season and you can debate Ole Miss probably should have had a chance to tie that game there late as the officials kind of botched a call on what looked like a touchdown there on the second to last play but with no timeouts uh, and able to challenge it they had to get up to the line and snap the ball extremely quickly, which prevented the game clock from running out, which would have then in turn allowed the play to be reviewed anyways. But you don't take that chance. Ole Miss had to try to score there uh, with the officials missing that call. But looked like on that second-to-last play that the Rebels had gotten into the end zone, could have won that game had they come back and tied it and been 3-2, and two, but still would have had to convert a two-point conversion. So there was a lot that would have had to have happened uh, so this is an Ole Miss team that's lost to Memphis, they've lost to Cal, and now they're taking on a team that could handle both of those teams with ease. Uh, and so I just see a big uphill battle for Ole Miss in this game, and it's a defense It's solely because of the defensive side of the football that I think Alabama should be able to cover this game. Um, if you just look at the numbers – I think Ole Miss has talent. I think they can keep this game talent-wise within the uh, within the 37-point spread. But at the same time, what worries me is that Ole Miss's uh, defense is ranked 114th in the country at stopping the pass, while Alabama's offense is third in passing offense. They're the third-best passing offense in the country. Ole Miss, at this point in the season, has given up 1,154 passing yards for an average of 288.5 yards per game while Alabama's throwing for 371.3 and has a total of 1,485. So if you just look at that, Alabama's going to have a field day against this Ole Miss offense throwing the football. They've got so many talented playmakers. Tua Tungavaloa obviously at the quarterback position, but with Jerry Judy being the go-to guy, a guy that's honestly in the Heisman talk and is pretty much a front runner and automatic on the All-American team at the end of the year. He's already there. He's a guy that Tua can look for in every play, but Henry Ruggs stepped up last week, has been a consistent player. You've also got guys like Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle. So this offense, and then throw in Najee Harris, who's thrown himself into the ring in the passing game as well. This offense is in incredible shape. They're going to pick apart this Ole Miss defense through the air, and I think that's going to lend its hand toward Alabama covering the spread in this game Um, and Ole Miss's offense is going to have to try to keep up they're an offense that ranks 74th overall uh, and 81st at throwing the football so if Alabama builds that lead that's going to force Ole Miss to pass I just don't think they're going to be able to do it 
enough to keep this game close. I think Alabama pulls away, gets into the 40s yet again, wins this game big enough. Uh, it's going to be close, obviously, against an SEC team. Picking uh, a 37-point spread is difficult, but I think Alabama, their passing offense against the abysmal, to be honest with you, Ole Miss pass defense will make the difference in that one. Our final game of the week to talk about, that's going to be Auburn hosting Mississippi State, and I think that's going to be key. Auburn obviously not having to go on the road this week. They went on the road a week ago to Texas A&M, have to go on the road against Florida next week, have a difficult schedule ahead with games against LSU, uh, LSU, Georgia, and Alabama, all still left on the schedule uh, following that matchup with Florida. So uh, a tough road ahead, but this week they get to come home in front of the home crowd in Jordan-Hare Stadium. I think that's going to give them a little bit of an extra boost in this game. Obviously coming off that big win last week over A&M, they're 4-0 on the season with those two top 20 wins. Uh, and also an SEC Western Division win. So Auburn sitting in good shape right now. Mississippi State, they bounce back from their first loss of the season to Kansas State. They end up taking down Kentucky 28-13 to last week and uh, looked pretty good overall defensively in that game against the Wildcats. The offense still trying to get going as they put in a freshman quarterback now in Garrett Schrader. So you're going to have two freshman quarterbacks going up against each other in Bo Nix and Garrett Schrader in this matchup and the key to this entire game Auburn's going to win this football game I don't have any doubt in saying that I wouldn't be surprised if Mississippi State came in and did pull off an upset but at the same time it's going to be extremely difficult to do on the road in an environment like this with Auburn playing as good a football as they are but it is a trap game for Auburn they're situated in this matchup in between two uh, matchups against ranked opponents on the road against Texas A&M and then Auburn next week, but at the same time, uh, they're at the, in, in front of their home crowd. Uh, that's going to help them tremendously. But the key to watch is going to be the style of game that we see from these two football teams. Now, when Auburn scores, they score quickly. They score in a few plays. They're able to get one positive play on first down, second down. That leads into the hurry up, and then they just reel off a bunch of plays very quickly, uh, which can help save time. But the nature of this game, both of these teams want to run the football and are going to run the football. Mississippi State right now is a rushing offense that ranks 30th in the country uh, and is getting better and better with Garrett Schrader at quarterback. And they're 28th in the country in time of possession. That's really in large part thanks to the fact that they want to run the football first. Uh, And if you just look at last week, In that matchup against Kentucky, they ran for 245 yards behind 125 from Schrader at the quarterback position, which is something they get with him there, being able to run the football with the quarterback and throw it. They also got 120 yards from Kylan Hill, who also ran for three touchdowns in that game against Kentucky. So uh, I think Kylan Hill is one of the best running backs in the country this year. I think he's going to be a big factor in this game. I think overall, the Mississippi State offense running the football is what is going to keep this game close. And I've gone back and forth on who to pick in this matchup, but when you look at the fact that they are both going to want to run the football first, that's going to be the key. That's going to keep this game a little bit closer. It's not going to be high scoring. We haven't seen Auburn run away from anybody really this year. They've had uh, every game pretty much has been close for the majority of the time. Uh, and I just think that it's an offense that still has some growing to do uh, with with uh, true freshman quarterback Bo Nix there. But that being said, their defense is uh, is playing some good football this year, and they're ranked 20th at stopping the run. So they're a good defense at stopping the run, while Mississippi State ranks 64th in stopping the run. Now, is that difference enough for Auburn to cover the 11-point spread? I'm not sure about that. It is enough for them to win. I do think Auburn is going to win. But the nature of this football game, uh, it, it's just tough for me to see Auburn pulling away for a big win. I think it's going to be close. I do think that at the end of this game, there's going to be a strong chance for one of these teams to play spoiler. I think it could be the fact that it's a 10-point game late and Auburn kicks a field goal or scores another touchdown to cover or I could see Mississippi State trailing by 17, 
scoring a touchdown, making it a 10-point game uh, in the final minute. So this is something, it, it could go either way. It's a fine line in this matchup, but I think the nature of the game and the fact that neither one of these teams has really pulled away and blown anybody out, I think it's going to keep this game a little bit closer. Uh, but at the end of the day, Auburn's going to win the football game simply because they're better defensively and because we've seen them make big plays against big teams, and now they're going to do it in front of their home crowd. I do think that Mississippi State will beat the spread. I think it's going to be closer to a 10-point, 7-point game. Uh, you're going to see a close contest throughout and a very physical matchup uh, in the trenches specifically, uh, but that defensive line of Auburn, uh, as well as their offensive line, which I think has flown a little bit under the radar this year, will help them pick up the win. I just think Mississippi State can keep it within 10 points. So we'll see how that game plays out. I think it's going to be uh, an under-the-radar game going into the weekend. I think it's going to be an exciting matchup to watch between two SEC Western Division opponents. And we have several good games coming up this weekend, maybe not from a ranked perspective, but South Carolina-Kentucky is going to be fun to watch. Uh, as far as Alabama goes, seeing if they can win another game big, get into the 40s in the score column again. Arkansas, Texas A&M, the inconsistency of those two teams may be an ugly football game, uh, but should be entertaining nonetheless to see what Texas A&M can do to rebound offensively. And then uh, that Vanderbilt-Northern Illinois game, can uh, the Commodores bounce back and pick up their first win of the season? So a lot of storylines to talk about. Not the most exciting slate of games, but it's college football. It's SEC action nonetheless. Next week, we will have a couple of big games. Georgia-Tennessee uh, will be on the schedule, and then that big showdown in Gainesville, Florida, in the swamp between Florida and Auburn, two top ten teams. And then two weeks from now, a very big slate of SEC football games that we'll get you ready for. But we'll be back next week to break down everything we saw this weekend, uh, as well as to break down those big matchups that we do have coming up the following weekend between uh, Florida and Auburn and a few others. Until then, that's going to do it for this episode of On the Edge with Alec Etheridge. I appreciate you guys for tuning in to another episode, putting up with my antics, my rambling. Uh, it's always fun. I enjoy doing it and appreciate you guys being here along for the ride. But until next week, make sure to live your sports life on the edge. <laughs>